This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't you understand? It doesn't have to be like this. You have to help. It's gotten out of control. It's too big. It is time to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Sure. Go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswell killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. How are you enjoying your autumn thus far? Uh, We've had it all, haven't we? We had the balmy weather a week ago, and then uh, this weekend, cold, bitter, wet. Something for everyone in October, uh, including ponies for the twins' fifth birthday. Uh, We actually uh, surprised our uh, twin boys, their fifth birthday. And on Monday, Thanksgiving Monday, we actually found the only two ponies in Christendom that hadn't been hired by one of the fall fairs around. And uh, so uh, along comes this uh, horse trailer, and uh, the gentlemanly farmer unloads a peanut and Merlin, this beautiful chestnut-colored pony, and then this painted pony, Merlin, uh, get off. And, and, uh, you know, when you think you're going to surprise your kids and you're looking for that, you know, the... the, uh, the joyful shrieking and running around, jumping up. It doesn't happen that way. What you get, I have found, is this sort of stunned silence. And you're thinking, as we're watching the horses, the the ponies get off uh, in, in front of the house and the boys are sitting there on the steps in total disbelief. And we had the cameras ready and, uh, you know, no, again, no shrieks, just stunned silence. And then, of course, when we lifted them into the saddle and um, put on their little, uh, their little straw cowboy hats, they cracked a smile. Just, and, but they're trying not to. They're trying to suppress it, you know? Anyway, they had a great time. They, we rented the, the ponies for the entire hour, and up and down the street they went. Wonderful time. So that was uh, last uh, weekend, holiday Monday. And then uh, this weekend, out uh, pumpkin hunting, and we found a farm up in the Oak Ridges Moraine, a farm that's been around uh, in the family since 1840. It's called the Rose Family Farm. Three pumpkins, any size, for $12. And uh, we uh, we pulled into this barnyard in the, in the mud. I thought the old rav was going to go under. Anyway, we came out of there with three of the biggest pumpkins I've ever seen. And uh, good luck uh, to the mighty Aphrodite, because she's going to have to... Uh, 
what do you what do you call it when you what do you what you do to a pumpkin? Do you uh, do you gut it? No, I don't know. What, she's going to be in charge of uh, making turning those uh, mon, uh, those uh, uh, behemoths into uh, uh, jack o' lanterns. Anyway, October is also a significant month uh, in other respects. Just a couple days away from now, we will mark the seventy second birthday. What would have been the seventy second birthday of Lee Harvey Oswald. And a special event coming to Conspiracy Culture that same uh, day. They're uh, wishing uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, wherever he is, a happy birthday. There'll be uh, some special guests, including a lady that's going to be on this program in just a few moments. Lee Harvey Oswald's girlfriend, Judith Very Baker, will be at the uh, at the shop conspiracy culture on uh, Tuesday the 18th they're at 1696 Queen Street West I'll give you some more details about that in in, in a moment but uh, Judith's memoir is entitled me and Lee how I came to know love and lose Lee Harvey Oswald so Judith uh, is standing by she'll join us on the line in just a few moments. Judith was uh, was once a, a promising science student and she dreamed of finding a cure for cancer. But as we'll find out, she strayed from that path of, of mainstream scholarship at the University of Florida and uh, was introduced into a life of espionage in New Orleans with none other than Lee Harvey Oswald. And in her memoir, she uh, she offers some pretty extensive documentation of how she became involved with uh, cancer research at such a young age and uh, also reveals the personalities who recruited her to move to New Orleans in 63, how she was hired there, along with Lee Oswald, by Riley Coffee Company and fired the same afternoon Lee was arrested for disturbing the peace on Canal Street when he was distributing those uh, Fair Play for Cuba pamphlets. Uh, and and then how she became part of a, a biological weapon, the development of a biological weapon that Oswald was was to smuggle into Cuba to eliminate Fidel Castro. We'll get it. We'll get into all of this and much more. Riveting, riveting information coming your way in just moments here on the Conspiracy Show, courtesy of tonight's guest Judith Very Baker. Again, the memoir "Me and Lee: How I Came to Know, Love, and Lose Lee Harvey Oswald." And we'll tell you also uh, when and where you can meet her and uh, get her to sign a copy of this memoir. Uh, Later in the program, we've sort of instituted this. It's not uh, every Sunday night, but I'm kind of liking it. Open up the lines uh, around 1220, 1230, and let you have your say uh, until we dim the lights at 1 o'clock. So I think we'll do that again tonight. Open lines. And uh, the ground rule is pretty simple. You can talk about just about anything uh, as long as it's the type of content we deal with on this show. So, no, we don't talk about, uh, you know, municipal taxes. We talk about conspiracies and cover-ups and deep politics. And we talk alternative everything and the paranormal and supernatural and uh, UFOs, if you will. We don't promote hate on this program. So if you've got an international Jewish banking conspiracy you'd like to share, you save that for your sick friends. 
because we don't talk about that on the air here. All right. Uh, why don't we step back here, take a moment, and uh, on the other side, we'll usher in Judith Very Baker, the author of Me and Lee, How I Came to Know, Love, and Lose, Lee Harvey Oswald, right here on AM 740 Zuma Radio. My name is Richard Serrett. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zuma Radio, AM 740. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416 416- 360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. If you want to stay alive, it's time to go into the catacombs. Promise me you will keep your mouth shut. Judith Very Baker was only 20 years old when she heard those alarming words. It was the strained voice of David Ferry. If you've seen JFK... Remember Joe Pesci. The date was November 23rd, 1963, the day after President Kennedy had been fatally shot in Dallas. Her co-worker, friend, and lover, Lee Harvey Oswald, had been declared the lone nut assassin. Judith knew this wasn't true, but what could she do? She was now living in Florida with her new husband, Robert Baker III, having left New Orleans in September of 1963 when Lee moved to Dallas after their summer-long affair. Then came November 24th. Lee was shot, live on television, right before her eyes. Devastated, depressed, and scared, Judith was told to lay low, to be a vanilla girl, to trade her silence for her life. She knew things, secret things. Judith made a decision. She dropped her childhood dreams of finding a cure for cancer along with her first love, science. Choosing survival. She soon buried herself in her family, raising five kids, her work and art. She resolved that one day she would tell her story. She would speak the truth so Lee's children, whom he adored, would know what their father really did and what he really stood for. Judith Very Baker, the author of Me and Lee, How I Came to Know, Love, and Lose, Lee Harvey Oswald, Welcome to The Conspiracy Show on AM740, Judith. It's good to hear your voice, and uh, thank you very much. Judith, uh, take me back to the summer uh, of 1963. Well, we could go all the way back to the spring of 1963. We met in April. Okay. And, um, of course, at the time I had no idea what I was getting into, and Lee knew an awful lot more than I did, of course. Um, Remember, he was only 23, and I was only 19 when we met. And um, wise as he was and intelligent as he was, he was had already been um, involved almost over his head. I think if, he, if we have enough time, I'd like to tell you why he went to New Orleans. Well, before we do that, can you, can you tell us your, your first, how you first met him? Sure. Um, I went to uh, New Orleans at the invitation of Dr. Alton Oxner. Uh, our university got out, the uh, University of Florida was on a trimester system, which was new to the whole country at that time. 
And we got out two weeks early. Oxner didn't realize this. And newspapers show that the, practically the day that I arrived in New Orleans, he took off for South America thinking we would meet in two weeks. I, I went early to New Orleans because I really had no choice. Uh, in the book, you'll find out what the problems were that I had with my family. Partially, I had wanted to become a nun. I thought I could not have any children. And, and uh, when I was doing cancer research, I got quite concerned about the misery and suffering I saw and uh, determined that maybe I should to serve humanity and serve God. You know, I should become a nun. And my father, who was a convert to, to uh, Catholicism, uh, drove up and removed me from the universe, the uh, situation I was in at St. Francis up in Indiana and uh, hid me away. So I didn't want to go home again because of Southern Smathers and and others got me out of there. I'd already had a lot of uh, newspaper articles written about me and so on. They helped me to get away from my family where I was being kept uh, on Sneed Island, uh, virtually isolated and, and unable to communicate with others. And my father fed me all kinds of anti-Catholic literature to read, and I thought if God loved me and he would have accepted me in my offer to become a nun, you know, and instead I here I was removed from that, situation, and um, my dad said that he would make sure that I would never become a nun. So I lost my faith. I became like an atheist, and this had a serious impact upon uh, what I thought were uh, my moral values in that I no longer considered marriage, for example, a holy sacrament. It was just a piece of paper and so on. So my whole world got turned upside down, ethically, morally, and so on. Mm. So I I ended up... um, doing more research at the University of Florida, thanks to Senator Smathers, who raised a scholarship there for me, and uh, actually was um, first started there rather illegally. It's all in the book. The whole background is in the book, and how uh, I had uh, actually worked with uh, people who were Nobel Prize winners, and so on. Uh, They helped me design some of my experiments. This all came because I crashed a meeting where they were all attending, and uh, they were going to eject me, and, and to make a long story short, instead, um, I got a chance to present my work, and I had actually given cancer to mice faster, and it had been done in all these fancy labs. My grandma had died of cancer, and I was determined to do something about it and to cure cancer. And anyway, it turned out that they were assigning me to uh, find out how to make cancer more deadly. Mm. We have newspaper articles about that. I became an expert in uh, melanoma. And an SV40 monkey virus, working with it, uh, because, of course, uh, melanogenesis and uh, other ways that cancer would uh, develop, uh, people really weren't aware of what made cancer more deadly. And I was told if I learned this and could uh, design good experiments in this area, that um, I would do something valuable, because if we found out how cancer could uh, proliferate, obviously we'd have more ideas about how to to conquer it. This turned out to be a lie. They were interested in creating a biological weapon, and they wanted me in on the project eventually, and that's what happened. So I came to New Orleans early, uh, not wanting to go home, obviously, to my family. And unfortunately, (laughs) I I was supposed to wait. I was was there two weeks early, and uh, I was naive and and, uh, innocent and... (laughs) I, you're talking about someone who was in the lab a lot. I had boyfriends and all that, and had you know normal life that way. But 
but I had never been on my own in a big city like New Orleans. And on top of that, um, even, even though I'm supposed to be very brilliant and so on, uh, please don't put me in the middle of a huge store because I can't find my way out to the door, okay? I get lost going around the corner. And here I am um, trying to figure out how to stick it out for a couple of weeks until everybody comes back because the YWCA didn't have any papers on me that said that they could keep me uh, for two weeks. <laughs> so I had to had a little money, but I didn't have much, so I had to go and find a job. At the same time, I had fallen in love, I thought, with this tall, young, brilliant man who was at University of Florida, and um, we had had an affair, and uh, this is embarrassing, but I tell everything that's in the book. Mm -hmm. And what happened is uh, I didn't think I could get pregnant. The doctors told me I couldn't, but I ended up having a miscarriage, and Mm. obviously they were wrong. I'd had this uh, experience, and it was very ashamed also of that. But he said, I'll marry you. Now, he didn't ask me to marry him. He just said he would. And that hurt my feelings. Uh, A girl wants to hear somebody, well, you want to see him get on their knee and say, you know, will you marry me? He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to come and marry you. This is a gentleman from Florida. That's right. His name is Robert Baker. And that's, so I said, well, I have to, I'm going to Florida. And if you want me, you have to come get me. Uh, He had to work with his uh, parents at their office, but he said he would come. He'd be there by May 1st. Meanwhile, I get there uh, in April, mid-April, and I don't know anything. <laughs> it was it was absurd how, uh, you know, absolutely hopeless I was as far as trying to figure out what to do. And my roommates were two strippers, a waitress, and an aspiring Playboy bunny at the Y, and me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, the sheltered... Um... Uh, erstwhile none. <laughs> yeah, and and my eyes getting open in a hurry to the wide, wicked world. Um, I think that Dr. Oxner and others, uh, of course, they were at a distance at that time and couldn't get back in time to help me or anything. In hindsight, I think that uh, Lee was sent the day after Lee arrived, which was the 25th of April. The day after Lee arrives in New Orleans, we meet. And now I no longer think it was by chance. Of course, at the time, I didn't understand a thing about that. Standing in line at the post office with a letter to mail to my um, possible husband-to-be if he ever showed up, okay? So this is not what you would call a blazing love affair that I was having with Robert Baker. I, Frankly, I, I had discovered the joys of sex, and I was all for it and thought it was love, you know. So you're standing in line at the post office, and you're approached by Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, he comes, he's standing behind me. I had a rolled-up um, newspaper under my arm in which I had placed an ad. His parents didn't like Catholics and so on. We had decided that we would, you know, when he came, we would elope. We wouldn't tell anybody. So there was this cryptic message that was in the paper, Jario to Jaria. Uh, he knew I arrived safely in New Orleans because about uh, he could find this ad in the Times Picayune that his parents, who were realtors, uh, got at their office. So here was this ad saying that I had arrived safely, and it was signed J A. It said "Pretty here," and it said "Right." And I was really burned because he had he knew I could pick up letters at the post office there from him, and he promised to write, and he really didn't. He only wrote once or twice, see, and so I was 
had serious ideas about, well, hey, I'm not going to marry this guy. He doesn't even want to write me, you know. But at the same time, I was scared of being in New Orleans. And I, I thought he was going to be there on time. And he even wrote and finally and said he was not going to be there for an extra day or so. So much happened between April 26th and May 1st when Robert Baker came. You're talking about some uh, 11 days. And what's amazing, of course, is the fact in that time I met Lee Oswald and realized I was falling in love already with a different man. What did he say to you when he first approached you? Well, I'm standing there in line with this rolled-up paper with this funny message on it. You know, Jario, it sounds like some, you're in some kind of CIA or deal already or something. And there was lipstick on it because I kissed it. Well, I had this letter I was going to mail to Robert, okay, and telling him how disappointed I was and anyway, how scared I was, too, in New Orleans. And I had asked, um, first of all, I asked the post office, at the post office there, I asked him, uh, are there any letters there from uh, R.A. Baker, Robert Baker, Robert A. Baker, and from Florida? He said, no. And I said, are there, is there anything there for Mr. Rourke? Because he was writing me as if my name were uh, Rourke. He had a, a friend whose name was uh, Rally Rourke. And he said, no. Well, later, Lee told me he's standing behind me, and he heard those names. He knew an Alex Rourke, and he only heard a Mr. Rourke. He knew a Rourke that was in Florida, who, okay, that he was associated with Alexander Rourke, who was working with the CIA, uh, was owned a was doing anti-Castro work and he had a plane and all this kind of thing. And on top of that, then I mentioned R.A. Baker, and sure not R. there's an R.A. Baker in Miami that lives near Rourke, and uh, he's a secret agent. He thought, <laughs> he didn't know it was Robert Baker from Florida, different part of Florida, okay. And then I mentioned Eglin Air Force Base, because uh, that's where Robert's parents were building. So I was hoping for a letter from these air, you know, no, so in other words, Oswald thought that that um, that uh, you were perhaps uh, involved uh, in the CIA when he heard these names, yes. and so his opening salvo to you was, "Wait a minute, are you in uh, CIA?" Well, or what did he say? What not, was it? Not Lee. You see, Lee wouldn't say these things right away. This is a man who was very careful. I reached out and uh, gave the letter to the postman or the man, the clerk there. And I dropped the newspaper that had been under my arm. He picked it up, and he, he saw that message there. Jario de Jario, what's going on? He knew that was cryptic, and it, it was my lipstick was on it, so he couldn't miss it, you know? This sounds like a, a, a scene from a Hitchcock movie, The Man Who Knew Too Much, except it's the woman who knew too much. So you've, you're it falling is. into this, yeah. this whole espionage it, world entirely by accident. Well, the, the absolute fact is that I had been invited in on this project on the need-to-know side and not on the clandestine side at all, okay, to work with Dr. Mary Sherman. I had been told, you know, at the end of the summer, after this internship with this famous, eminent, uh, wonderful uh, surgeon who was also well-known expert in cancer research. And just to, just to, for the listeners, uh, uh, Dr. Mary Sherman, uh, again, as as, as uh, pointed out in Edward Haslam's uh, a book about Dr. Mary's monkey, she was involved in carrying out this secret research into developing a vaccine because the the, the, the polio the, the polio the vaccine, polio vaccine yes, before the monkey virus was going to cause an incredible an of cancer and of course yes. we're in it so then we are in it right so then she's scrambling to try and find basically a vaccine to prevent this epidemic before word gets out 
Um, That's right, and so was Oxner. Remember, Oxner's son, right. uh, his grandson, uh, he goes and in- injects his grandson, his granddaughter, with this vaccine to show it's safe. The polio vaccine that's contaminated, his grandson dies from it. Right, right. So you have a very motivated Oxner who wants to get something done, but then he realizes something else. He realizes that he trusted his own doctor so much, and he's a doctor himself. He actually allowed his grandchildren to be injected with it right. with a belief, yeah. And later, Dr. Sherman would be murdered. Um, um, In a most vicious and horrible way. Yes, and on, coincidentally, on the very day that the Warren Commission came to New Orleans to obtain testimony about well, the assassination. Well, if you think that's a coincidence, I can tell you some more. <laughs> okay, listen, we got to take a time out. Uh, yes. Judith Very Baker is uh, with us, and uh, again... Um, she'll be in, well, she is in town, but she'll be at the uh, uh, Conspiracy Culture. We'll tell you a little bit about that uh, later. Um, But she's here to talk about her memoir, Me and Lee, How I Came to Know, Love, and Lose, Lee Harvey Oswald, back with more of The Conspiracy Show here on AM 740. My name is Richard Serrett. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. All right, let me just quickly recap and summarize, and then we can sort of catapult ahead because uh, time is right. tight. Uh, right. let, me, let me recap here. So, uh, Judith, is, you're working a summer medical internship with Dr. Mary Sherman. Or so I thought. That's how or, it started no, out. Well, that's, yeah, ostensibly. Right. And uh, in New Orleans. Yeah, and Lee Oswald is behind me. He picks up the newspaper, he looks at it, hands it back to me, and I thank him in Russian. I had a habit of, today I would probably, I'd thank him and I'd say, Toxamigat, I'd probably say that in Swedish because I've, you know, that's my current language right now. But the point is, is that I like to just use foreign. And he answers me and says, it's not a good idea to speak a, a Russian in New Orleans. I was shocked. Nobody I knew knew anything about Russian. He had not met any girl either who knew any Russian who also liked to play chess, blah, blah, blah. We can go on and right, on right. about it. But let me just point out here, comments. let me just point out again that Oswald's connection, if I understand it correctly, is with the with um, this whole cancer being developed, weaponized essentially, was the idea was that um, the, the this biological agent was going to be Courier. smuggled into Cuba so That's that right. they could knock off Castro. And, of course, Oswald is presenting himself as a Castro sympathizer so he can get into Cuba, sort of exactly. a double agent. And and he's the guy that's sort of handling the material. He's He volunteers to courier this material into Mexico City. Yes. Uh, obviously, I, it looks like you've read the book, and I really appreciate that. All right. Because it fills in a lot of gaps. Yeah. What's important, I think, uh, at the meeting at the post office is the fact that because of these various things, we can go into more details Lee actually thought I knew much more about the project than I did, and that I was on the on the secret side of it. Right, right. Because of all these strange coincidences that occurred, 
And uh, on top of that, I was working part-time as a waitress at that time at Royal Castle, right across from, not I mean, you could step out and you could spit on Carlos Marcello's uh, uh, territory where his office was located, okay, right. town right. and country. And that's where Bobby Kennedy's men were surveilling, and their drop point there was at Royal Castle. So I'm here working at Royal Castle, which is out of town. I had to get on a bus to get there. This waitress was working there, and she got me a, a part-time job there. And I needed something to pay because Oxner and them, they weren't back yet, you see. So I needed the money. So there I am flipping hamburgers, and I'm, I'm just cutting my fingers, and, right. oh, I'm just making a mess of things. It's, I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, in that. How did this, this the romance between uh, you and, and Lee uh, uh, blossom? Did it happen immediately? It or? happened at once. It happened so fast. Uh, my heart probably beat once, and I didn't love him, and the second time it beat, I did. And it was the same for him. We just hit it off immediately. And did you know he was married with children? Uh, no, he told me. So, first thing he told me is that I reminded him, resembled his wife. Mm-hmm. So I knew right away. And in a few days, he finally admitted that he and his wife weren't getting along. And it wasn't long before I learned that he had been abusing his wife. And it just turned everything black and cold for me. I thought, oh, no, you know, what am I getting myself into? Because by then I found out, you know, we were playing chess together. We loved to sing together. We had every, we had the same viewpoints about life. I mean, we're very liberal in that. He, he's been quoted by George de Morinschild that he would lay down his life for his black brothers. And I was the same way. I was so pro-civil rights and so on. This is a man who sat in the back of the bus in New Orleans, and I sat with him so that we would be supporting the blacks. That would help them move more forward into the bus because they had to sit in the back of the bus. And they got to where they would save seats for us, you know. So there were so many things about Lee that I admired. And then when I learned that he had come, you know, spent three years in the Soviet Union, and he was out, okay, Uh, he was not in prison for it. Uh, it, it's obvious who he was, and of course, he told me a great deal about well, what course, he did. Well, of course, the State Department uh, basically uh, provided the the funds to to uh, to repatriate him into the United States while he was over there. Yeah, through various uh, means, they right. made no problem really getting him back. It's absurd, ridiculous when people say, "Well, you know, he had a lot." Of, no, he didn't have a lot of trouble getting back in. Why was he? Did he? Did he reveal to you why he was over there? Did it have anything to do with uh, the Gary Francis' power? The yeah. please, because yeah. it had to do with the U two. So his job was basically to to scuttle the Paris summit between Eisenhower and Khrushchev by uh, by allowing the Soviets to know that Gary Francis' power was was going to fly over there in the U two spy plane. Well, I don't think they knew his name. Who was going to do no, that? Of course, no. of course, they hoped Gary would also bite the cyanide bullet and never yes. live to tell the story. But in other words, because the Americans were so embarrassed after uh, after the the U two uh, plane was discovered by the Soviets, that obviously Khrushchev and, and Eisenhower were not going to meet, which could have led to a well, thaw. Well, imagine this plane was shot down on May Day. That's like mm. shooting down a Soviet plane coming over our territory on the 4th of July. Quite a Christmas present for the Soviets. Yeah. And, and, and so the military-industrial complex doesn't want uh, this, this summit to occur because they don't want the Cold War to de-escalate, so they put well, Oswald up for this? even a little more than that. You know... Um, our our great uh, general Eisenhower mm-hmm. had actually had a couple of strokes, and he wasn't all that 
spiffy and bright, and they didn't really want him meeting that close to Khrushchev. Okay. And maybe he might make a mistake. They didn't want that. They didn't want to show reveal any kind of weakness. Okay. And on top of that, they had the Corona space program going. Uh, they had satellites, and they believed at that time, oh, we have satellites. We're going to put a bunch of satellites up there. We don't need U-2s. Of course, that turned out to be ridiculous, and it wasn't true. Um, the um, satellites are great, but you can't once they're up there, you can't maneuver them very well, and it took quite a while before they learned how to create satellites that they could move up there in orbit and change orbits. So they would have had to put a 1,000 of them up there. Of course, they couldn't do that, and soon they continued using U-2. But at the time, they thought, we can tell them secrets about the U-2, have that thing shot down. You know, Lee was sent there. He told me how he had talked to Gary Powers, and uh, I was ignorant. I didn't ask him if he saw him face-to-face. I was just, my tongue was hanging out. Wow, you talked to, I didn't even think, did you see him face-to-face, you know? I was just, and you don't interrupt Lee. Uh, Lee was not one that would talk a lot. And if he began saying something, you didn't stop him and ask questions. You listened. Judith Very Baker is uh, with us here on The Conspiracy Show. And her memoir is Me and Lee, How I Came to Know, Love, and Lose, Lee Harvey Oswald. How did a lot of this information about what he was doing come to you? Was it, was it pillow talk? Uh, was, I mean, <laughs> did he... Well, at first, um, I, when I found out that he had... Um, not got along very well with his wife. I want to tell you it was tit for tat, okay? It's not quite how you hear about it. Um, she gave as good as she got. <laughs> and um, uh, she insisted on smoking when she was pregnant, for example, and he didn't want her to. And and uh, he, there, she just did, you know, she was a young, headstrong Russian woman who made it to the United States, thanks to Lee. And uh, he did get her pregnant again so that she could stay. Because if she bore an American baby, they wouldn't deport her. And then he was going to divorce her, so he told me that. But meanwhile, you know, he had to put up with it. He didn't want to leave her until after she had a baby and was settled in. And, of course, as you know, when Lee was arrested, she, he hadn't been living with her for quite a while. He just came and visited her on weekends. She was living with Ruth Payne. Right, right. So uh, I decided I would uh, stick it out with him and uh, be his friend if he promised, because right away he said he, how much he was attracted to me, and I was to him. It was, it was remar- I've never had an experience like that since, where somebody was that close who understood me so well. We just clicked. It was perfect. And the problem was, of course, is that he was married, and I was about to be married. I really, if he hadn't told me that he had abused Marina, I, I wouldn't have married Robert Baker. I wouldn't have done it. That's well, how much uh, I was impressed by this young Marine. What did he tell you about, cool. I mean, how much did he divulge about his, his what would be his role? Okay, well, um, he pro- first of all, he promised that he wouldn't hit her, uh, that he would prove to me that he cared about me, that he would never touch her again. And, and by the way, he never did. Okay. It's on record. All of a sudden, Lee Oswald never lays a hand on Marina again, ever. And th- this impressed me as time went on and all that. Um as we grew closer, I, and I was on the wrong side of the experiment by this time of uh, the research project, uh, there was not much that Ochsner could do about it. You, get, you know, it was too late. They had told me too much, and I realized what the project was about to kill somebody, you know, Castro. It's true, I was vehemently anti-Castro. Uh, Lee was really, became my protector in New Orleans. And um, we didn't realize that, how it was going to end. We stupidly thought maybe we'd be able to get out alive 
both of us. So, so how much did when did he start to to reveal to you what okay, his role in, in was the in the book, JFK? In the book, you could see where he tells me a little and he tells me more and more here and there. And I'm not completely stupid. I mean, I really wanted to know more about him. I was thrilled uh, to actually meet a spy. It was a real spy, and who had actually gone into Soviet Union and come back alive. And uh, he also impressed me when he got his passport in one day, 24 hours. This so-called returned uh, defector, and of course we're working together at Riley's. We obtained um, jobs there; they're cover jobs, and there's a lot of detail in there. I can prove that that was Lee's cover job, and that's important because when we're there, uh, Lee is often he's not on the premises at all, and uh, together we cooperated and worked so close together that. He eventually told me more, but finally we had a showdown, and I said, you know, either, because by then he said he loved me, I said, I really need to know everything. He didn't want to tell me everything, and um, in the book you'll see uh, how I got him to, to trust me. But did, did he did he come out and say, you know, this is all culminating in Dallas on November 22nd? Did he talk well, about in, in, Kennedy? Well, not the date, to, November 22nd, exactly, because... Um, that probably wasn't set in stone even in July. However, in July, he knew that he was, something was the matter. The fact that he actually returned from the Soviet Union alive really distressed some of his handlers because in their book, uh, if he had died there, that would be fine. But since he came back alive, maybe, just maybe, he wasn't to be trusted again, you see. And he began realizing this and that he also realized he was being used in such a way he was not advancing in the company, that is, in the CIA. He wasn't part of the CIA. He told me he was loaned to the CIA, and I assume that was from the ONI, now that I know more. The ONI being what? The Office of Naval, uh, Naval Intelligence. That's the big one, isn't it? It yes. certainly is. That's the granddaddy. Yep, and, uh, of course, you have Alton Oxner. You find out that the founder of the OSS, who becomes uh, the, the big, the, the founding father, really, basically, of the CIA, and that's Donovan, Wild Bill Donovan. They're they're best friends. They were best friends. Hmm. Yeah, and then uh, then also Oxner's friends with uh, Chenault, who of course had, had the Flying Tigers and started the first CIA uh, big air. Uh, transport system, you know. All right, listen, uh, we'll take a time out. When, you, when we come back, uh, I want uh, want to sort of cut to the chase and find out what did Oswald think his role was in okay. this whole thing? Was he part of a sting operation to prevent an assassination? Was he put to put a scare in, in Kennedy? Uh, oh. w- we'll find out. Okay. Judith Very Baker is with us, and her memoir is called Me and Lee, How I Came to Know, Love, and Lose Lee Harvey Oswald. She will be at Conspiracy Culture on Tuesday, October the 18th. That's 1696 Queen Street West from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. And she'll sign a copy of that book for you. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show and your calls in a moment. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Curiosity? Or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, 
Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Judith Very Baker. Yes. Talking about her love affair with Lee Oswald over the summer of 63, her conversations with him as late as two days before JFK's death, his role as what? Well, we're about to find out. What was Lee Harvey Oswald's role in the assassination of John F. Kennedy? Uh, and then we'll get to your calls. We've got a few uh, waiting on the line. Thanks for your patience. Judith, let's just cut to the quick. What what was Lee's role in this? Okay, what? originally, of course, the idea was that he was going to courier the biological weapon into Mexico City, hand it off to a contact who would go into Cuba. That was the original plan. And give cancer to Castro. Yes, this is a fast-acting cancer. We still had enough time, we believe, that we could uh, reach Castro, get him killed. And that sounds kind of cruel in today's terms, but they've been trying for some time to kill Castro. The idea being that if Castro is killed, the enemies who had gathered around to kill Kennedy would be divided over how to handle Cuba and it would save Kennedy's life. So we were trying to save the president. Um, When I first spoke about this in 1999, boy, uh, people were just shocked. You know, they may have thought Lee was innocent, but they had no idea that Lee actually was eliminated because he was in on plots to try and save Kennedy. Was he a Kennedy fan? Oh, yes, from get-go. And, in fact, he is the one who convinced me that Kennedy was worth saving because I came from Florida to... It was anti-Kennedy territory, and we were all, you know, anti-Castro. We felt like he was soft on communism, and it's Lee that convinced me who uh, the president really was, what a great man he really was. So there was was this, within the apparatus, within the military-industrial complex, there was this schism. You had those, perhaps in the Office of Naval Intelligence, that wanted to save Kennedy. You had others, maybe with the company, and the mob who wanted to take Castro well, out? Well, uh, I would say there was a, a massive coalition to get rid of Kennedy. Sure. And, and they were pleased at anybody who would cooperate with them, and you know, as long as they couldn't be blamed directly. Uh, Lee Oswald uh, was associating with people who violently hated Kennedy. He, his idea was to penetrate these areas. Originally, he, it turned out he was in on this Get Castro uh, team, actually, to report to the CIA about what we were doing what Oxner was doing, and so on. And it, it wasn't about uh, saving Kennedy. Those people could care less. It's amazing how little uh, they valued the president's life. Lee Oswald kept, in the end, uh, Lee realized that he was in a lot of danger. Uh, why were they allowing him to meet with uh, them? And they did. What do you I mean, think. them? Who's them? Well, um, when we talk about the mob, you've got to understand, and of course you know this, that it, it took a long time for the CIA to admit that they used the mob to do lots of hits in America. Right. And so they wouldn't be used. We have a killing machine that was set up to kill Castro, and it, it was working very well. They couldn't reach Castro, but they could get rid of Kennedy. And that most of those who wanted to kill Castro wanted to kill Kennedy just as much. Guys like we, Guy Bannister. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, he was a racist. It's amazing, really, if you... Um, I know now, and of course I didn't know then, uh, many of the activities that we worked on and what we did, uh, 
they couldn't understand Lee Oswald's movements, why he did this or that or the other. How come he showed up with somebody as important as Clay Shaw, okay, of the trademark, of course, who Garrison took the trial? How could he show up with somebody like that, so important, and he's supposed to be, you know, somebody who got fired from uh, working as a an oiler of machinery at Riley Coffee Company, and here you have Shaw spending apparently an entire day in Clinton, Louisiana, with him and with David Ferry. What did they all have in common? What they all had in common, of course, and what Lee thought uh, that we were doing uh, was trying to get Castro, and they had to experiment on people at Jackson, and the only way they could actually get in was to join a convoy. I'm saying the role of Lee Oswald was complex, this is why it's been difficult for people to understand what he was about. Uh, truly, uh, I'm not trying to say buy the book for that reason. I'm saying we have people who have uh, written reviews saying, after reading this book, I don't have to read another book. I finally understand what happened because the gaps are filled. All right, let's go to the phones. And, um, oh, our, uh, our, uh, our researcher on the conspiracy television program, okay. Nelson Thal, uh, is calling in from Montreal. Nelson, welcome. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thanks. That's very interesting uh, to listen to the show. What did you want to ask Judith Very Baker? Judith, I wanted to ask you, um, since there's so many, um, the famous June 3rd, 60 memo of Hoover's pointing out that there was an imposter using Oswald's birth certificate, and of course his mother said that she also uh, believed that uh, that there, there was someone impo- uh, uh, impostering him, and of course I've got many pictures of the different Oswalds. Oh boy, I want to um, talk to you about that. Yeah, the the two inch difference, the so since there, there's there's so much about all the many different Oswalds, and we know that the people who who run these affairs and these assassinations use uh, multiple parallel operations with doubles and with uh, etc. Well, yes, that's true. Which Oswald um, did you know? And not only that, um, what proof did you have that? The Oswald you knew were the what was the was the okay. imposter arrested at the theater and eventually maybe shot. Excellent question, Nelson. Okay, sure it is because we unfortunately we here's what happens when somebody uh, when somebody's killed, just say anybody is murdered, they get all kinds of tips. Now, what if the police accepted every tip as legitimate? Unfortunately, in the um, the double Oswald case, every every tipster that came along with this, that, or the other information, like we have Mrs. Tippett, okay. That tippet call that Lee that she knew a Lee Oswald, uh, who was born of a Hungarian family, and they were in New York and things like that. Hey, I've traced all this and tracked it all down. First of all, I want you to do something very important. You get the closest, newest photos you can find. That is the ones that are originals, not the one. When you copy a photo, on on uh, and make a say you make a copy of it and print it out on your printer. Guess what? You have a, an effect that occurs. Compression. That is, the, the features spread out. Mm-hmm. The dots, okay, are a little wider. Now, if you make a copy of that copy, guess what? The face gets broader. I have made measurements from the originals and, and uh, checked those with much later copies, and you'll see that Oswald's face is like 8.5% broader. Now, this is the same photo. We have found a lot of distortions. We also have found photos that were supposed to be Lee Oswald that I can tell that were of John Pick, for example. We have a picture of Marguerite that's supposed to be Marguerite Oswald with, with uh, 
all three boys, okay? And it's not, I saw, I know what Lillian, uh, 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 that's Marguerite's sister, looked like, yet it's labeled Marguerite. We have a lot of mislabeling going on. We have people say, I had a picture of Oswald, and they bring it forward, didn't look anything like it. Now, was he impersonated? Indeed he was, and we have a lot of proof of that. When um, Lee told me he had an awful lot of problem with his mother because she was convinced when he went over there, you know, that he was somebody else. She didn't hear from him for quite a while. He was trying to completely uh, break himself off from the family. And you have a lot of interference from his interfering mother, and they had to respond to that. Lee was sent over there as a fake defector. But that doesn't mean the highest level people knew anything about that. They had to respond to her concerns as a legitimate uh, complaint. All right? I can go into a lot of detail, and I would uh, very much like to, but it would take up almost the whole show to show you how much distortion has been placed in this. We have multiple Oswalds, but I swear to you there wasn't anything like. When I'm told that I liked Harvey and and, uh, uh, it wasn't Lee that I knew, when Lee did not like his middle name and he only wrote Lee H. Oswald unless he was forced, you'll see on his application to... um, the, on his Mexican tourist visa, he has to, he wrote Lee H. Oswald, and he had they had made him um, write Harvey. In other words, to squeeze it in. In other words, Judith, as as far as you know, uh, there there was just essentially there was the I'll one stand, Lee Lee H. Oswald. I'll stand toe to toe with anybody who claims that there was a program going on where these two, from their early teens or earlier, or even before that, were deliberately created. When you look at, uh, it looks like some solid evidence, and I'm looking at the man. I know who, what that man looked like. I know what his eyebrow is. You can go through the photos, and there's supposed to be two different guys. Look at the eyebrow. Follow that eyebrow. It, it's I the same guy. I have me that look nasty. It doesn't look like me at all. I can bring up pictures of myself. I wasn't duplicated. I got it. Okay, listen. Uh, Nelson in yeah. Montreal, thanks for the call, buddy. We'll uh, talk to you when you get back. Um, Judith, you yeah. stay where you are. Are you? Uh, can you stay with us a little longer? We had you scheduled for the hour. Yes, yes. Go ahead. Terrific. All right. Uh, uh, Dana in uh, Southbury, Connecticut, hold on. We'll get to you. Uh, Fred in Toronto, if you've got a line, hold on to it. Judith Very Baker, me and Lee, back with more. Don't go away. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
Auto Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And I hope you're enjoying The Conspiracy Show on television, Vision Television, weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern. Brand new episode from season two, followed at 11.30 by an episode from season one. And uh, coming up tomorrow night at 11, Monday, October the 17th, vaccines, are they safe? This uh, promises to be very controversial. I'm sure I'll get a lot of nasty emails and some supportive emails. Uh, However, you'll have to decide for yourself after watching uh, the episode. Vaccines, are they safe? Followed at 11.30 by a repeat from season one, and that is uh, UFO Disclosure. Uh, We'll meet some top UFO uh, disclosure advocates, researchers, and including an interview with Canada's former Deputy Prime Minister, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, who, I promise you, will drop a few bombs on uh, Monday night's program. All right, uh, and keep in mind, the um, season two, the, uh, the series ends uh, Thursday night. So the run of the series will end this coming Thursday night. So make sure you watch uh, every one of them. Okay, Judith Very Baker is with us, and uh, she's talking about her relationship with Lee Oswald. Apparently he hated his middle name, Harvey. So me and Lee, how I came to know, love, and lose Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, did he, I mean, when he started to, when did he start to figure out that he was being set up? Right after his talk at Spring Hill um, at the Jesuit College there, which uh, when he uh, he actually met uh, people, envoys, uh, even Bobby Kennedy sent a, a priest there, uh, he came back realizing that he was not going to be advanced. He wanted to go to college, for example. They were supposed to let him go to college. He told me he didn't know if he could be able to protect me anymore and that he was sorry he ever got told me as much as he did and sorry that I'd gotten involved and all that, that he could see the handwriting on the wall. They were going to... There were too many things. They were There were too many invitations to get into the uh, the murder of Kennedy. He was being almost invited in. It was almost too obvious. At this point, did he did he contemplate maybe blowing the whistle? Did you can't blow the whistle when you know that people at the top are all involved. Who are you going to blow the whistle to? Right, right. Can't do it. What we did do is try to plan to go to uh, get out of it and go to Mexico and just get out of the whole thing. We almost succeeded. It came so close. But it didn't work. Uh, he was supposed to stay in Mexico City. He was ordered back to Dallas. They didn't do the handoff. In other words, they left him holding the bag there. Uh, he he did some crazy things trying to get uh, a difference. He was definitely in Mexico City. However, for example, you have a an entry in the log there that says Lee Harvey Oswald uh, uh, for the hotel. He wasn't at that hotel, and the, the giveaway clue is it shows the name Harvey in there, okay, which he would never write. Right, okay. Okay. Same thing for when you see Lee Harvey Oswald on this hunt letter. That has to be a fake course. You never, nobody ever got the original. Those were all copies anyway that were sent out. But there again, it, it's no, nobody in their right mind who's in uh, this kind of business would put their, own, their name on a piece of paper and have a paper trail to Mr. Hunt. And there it is, Lee Harvey Oswald again. You have the Harvey, so it's a giveaway. 
Dana is in Southbury, Connecticut. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Dana. You're on the air. Go ahead. It's, um, nice, Judith, I've been wanting to talk to you for years. Um, so nice to talk to you. And I'm Terrific. Well, and um, I just wanted to ask you a few questions, if you'd be so kind. Of course. Go ahead. Yeah, um, first of all, um, Lee went to the Presidio Language School, so I always thought he was involved in military intelligence. Is that correct? Sure. Yeah. You're going to see a timeline by the enemies, you know, by Tracy Parnell. It says that uh, he requested... <laughs> His uh, Russian language, you don't request the, the Marines to give you a, a test. Of course, the Marines wanted him to be tested on his Russian. Yeah, and um, if, if Lee had um, gone back um, to New Orleans mm-hmm. on, the, on the 21st or 22nd, what, what do you think would have happened to him? You mean if, if he'd uh, not stayed in Dallas and just escaped, ran to New Orleans? You know, if he, if he had... Um, if he had, yeah, if he had not gone to Dallas, I'm sorry. What, what do you think would have happened to him? Oh, they would have killed him. I mean, yeah. you know, you you have to do what you're told. Yeah, I thought I, I I thought I had read somewhere where um, they had threatened his children. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely, uh, and me. Uh, I mean, I didn't know this, of course. Lee told me that yeah. um, he was trapped. Yeah. If he left, uh, we die. Now, now you knew Lee to see you knew him like a brother. I take it right. Oh, boy. Yes, sir. Yes, okay. sir. So when you see the picture of Lee standing in front of the book depository, that famous picture that says that... It's not him. The James Alkin photo, the AP photo. No, it's not him. That's not him, okay. No. Okay, and i got just uh, two or three other quick things. Um, sure. Uh, Kerry Thornley, did he know Kerry Thornley? He did, indeed, yes. And who's Kerry Thornley? Kerry Thornley was a fellow Marine that he knew, I think it was over in El Toro in uh, California. Maybe I've got that wrong. I, I didn't know that. But uh, Kerry actually had written a book uh, with Lee as a centerpiece in it. And after they had an argument, he, he made Lee look a lot worse. He said he would. He knew that Lee had a Minox camera, miniature uh, camera, uh, when he was uh, apparently in Japan. So uh, Kerry must have known more than we've been told. And he might even be disinfo, you know. He might have even acted as disinfo later. I have heard that Kerry might have been an Oswald imposter. That's why I asked. Yeah, well, I I don't put anything past past Okay. And uh, Ruth and Michael Payne, they were players in this, correct? Yes, I hope people go to YouTube and they'll go to Lola, number four, JVB, number four, LHO and see uh, the videos such as Lee Harvey Oswald and the Granny Knot, you have, uh, there is so much uh, implicating the pains. And the, and the, and the, the pains were associated with, with Bell Helicopter. Yes, yeah, so, well, Michael Payne's, um, you have uh, Nazi scientists who is uh, running all that. Dornberger? That's right. Okay. And uh, on Ruth Payne's part, part, of course, you have... You find out that all her relatives, she spends the summer up in up north uh, on the East Coast there talking to her CIA relatives. And she says, oh, I didn't know they were CIA. Comes back, picks up Marina Oswald, takes her on to um, Dallas. Meanwhile, Lee goes on. They think they're never going to see each other again. There's, there are tears because Lee loved his kids, and he, he, he always cared about Marina. But... We're going to go. We're trying to save our lives. We're, uh, we're, I'm to go and meet with Lee in Mexico City as soon as he hands this off. Okay? I'm going to join him there. The very day he leaves, crosses the border, my plane ride, which is Alex Rourke, okay? Rourke is shot down. He disappears. And I don't have a ride to Mexico City. And it gets worse and worse from there. Um, so when when... 
Oswald gets the job at the the Texas School Book Depository yeah. building. Uh, I mean, obviously now he knows he's being basically pen, penned in, and this is going to come to he an acute angle. And yes, and and our phone calls get worse and worse. And what is he saying during these phone calls? You know, people say Lee didn't talk very much, but people when they get on the phone with me, they talk a long time, and our phone calls, a couple were just short, but. We had a number of calls. We had more than 14, 14 or 15 calls. And those calls, some of those calls were like an hour and a half long. And so I learned an awful lot. Uh, he was afraid we'd, we'd never see each other again. I worried about it, too. He called you two days before the assassination? Well, what happened is I, uh, we, we had a phone, uh, a very, very sophisticated way of contacting each other. And he was supposed to call me back on Sunday. It didn't work, and it broke this, this ring. The only time I could call back that he would know it was me was on Wednesday. I called around uh, 1 o'clock or so, and using a code, the code name was janitor. I, at, of course, Lee was not a janitor at the Texas School Book Depository, but I, it was my job to say, uh, is, Lee Harvey, uh, is Lee Oswald, I didn't use the word Harvey, of course, is Lee Oswald the new janitor there? And, of course, he, uh, that, that told him it was me calling, and it, because of the time I called, I knew when he would be calling me. So when he called me back, uh, he called around, I guess, basically midnight or so. Um, and uh, here he is supposed to be washing clothes. Now, remember, his clothes got washed at Ruth Payne's house. They had a washing machine. You can see it in the photographs. So what is he doing washing his clothes then only 37 and a half hours before this? Has, no, he's not washing clothes. It's just a ploy so that he can talk to me because they had a pay phone around the corner there at the washateria. But... Uh, he called me, and we talked, and we broke down. It was awful. Did he fire a weapon on that day? No. No, and, of course, the paraffin test shows that you, you would have blowback. Mm. Okay, on, on his cheek, and, yeah. And that was negative for him. Yeah. Now, his, the hands were positive, but uh, I'm told that you can, that you can, get, you can test positive uh, simply by, hand, by handling the, 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 uh, the ink uh, that you yeah, would the, find in a book. The inks, uh, yeah, fresh inks. You could smell the inks on those uh, right. kind of books at that time. And the cartons themselves, your cheap cardboard cartons, uh, that would produce the nitrates on his hands. Plus, they performed the test after he was fingerprinted. Yes. <laughs> all right, let's look at all the things they did wrong. One of the ones that really stands out for me is that uh, they found his pubic hairs on his daughter's blanket, you know, the, the same blanket that's supposed to have held the, the killer rifle. We have a blanket that's supposed to have held this rifle. It was tied at both ends, okay, with string. The string is done with what's called a granny knot, and then you've got a bow tie. You know who does that? Women who are tying their kids' shoes. They, they make t knots like that. Marines mm. don't make knots like that. But that's what we have tying up the rifle. We have a blanket that's supposed to have been... Um, pushed around, moved on this dirty floor, okay, where we, it, sh it doesn't have any wood shavings on it. And yet they had made wood blocks, and she was painting blocks that they cut out of wood, okay, and all this. That Ruth Payne. When you know that Lee Oswald would not have tied this blanket up with granny knots, since he had been in the Civil Air Patrol where they teach you knotting as a kid, and then on top of that as a Marine you have to go through an actual course in how to tie all kinds of different knots that are important for Marines. Well, more important, Judith, the, the um, I believe it was the 
the sheriff or the only this didn't I don't think this was in the Warren Commission, but uh, it was, oh, you're talking about Roger Craig. Well, the yeah, the 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 package that that was Oswald was seen taking into the building yeah. was was pr- too small to be the you uh, know the cocano. It was actually never seen actually taking it only toward the building. Right, but it was but such a it was a small seen, package. Nobody ever saw him take it. I've got a theory about yeah. this. Of course, it's just a theory. But what if you were told that you have to bring a, a weapon in, and you're being watched to see if you bring a weapon in? You take it apart. Or how about if you brought in a package that was actually had curtain rods in it? Mm-hmm. From a distance, who would know? Okay, let's just assume though for a minute it was the uh, you know the humanitarian man liquor cocano. No, no, he, he no, I know it wasn't. All, he didn't even own such a thing. I know, he I know. Own such a piece of junk. But here's my here's here's my here's my point. Uh-huh. Uh huh. If it was disassembled. You put that thing back together, you're going to have to cite that weapon. Oh, sure. you can, you're going to have to test it. Now, and when's he going to do that? time to put it back together. They right. were actually reflooring. They had people up there until 15 minutes before the assassination. When's he supposed to find right. time to pull the rifle out, put it back together, okay, <laughs> to begin with? Uh, they said he had to use a dime to put it back together, you know, because uh, there, there weren't even any tools around there that they could find. But But once once it's once you put it back together, you have to cite it, which means you have to fire it to make to test it. Well, of course, he didn't do any. I mean, it wasn't him. and He didn't do it. Right. Right. So more than that, we're talking about a man who wept. He'd done everything he could to save the president. In fact, he told me he did save. When I told people in 1999 that he saved the president of the United States, people said, well, we, we think he might be innocent, but that's ridiculous. Thank God that Abraham Bolden has come forward and said, yes, uh, that someone named Lee saved President Kennedy's life in Chicago. On what occasion? This was three weeks before the assassination. And an informant named Lee contacted the FBI in Chicago. Okay, well, he did at risk of his life. Mm -hmm. Now, why in the world would he know who to contact in Chicago? You have to know these contact numbers and everything. We have Dr. Mary Sherman, who is from Chicago, also interested in saving Kennedy's life. Okay, they're still together in New Orleans. And, uh, uh, I mean, uh, after I left. And then later when Lee went to Dallas, uh, I, I believe that by then he had those contact numbers. And he found out enough. One of the reasons that Lee knew that he was probably going to die and that they had fingered him to be the, the patsy, is he said he, in the, this last week he had met new people each time. Now, you know something? You don't do that usually. He said, if, if they let me see all these faces, it means that they know I'm not going to live. Who shot Tippett, Officer Tippett? Well, it wasn't he. We have too many witnesses, and, and, and Helen Markham, who was supposed to have seen him, okay, she, she couldn't get her story straight anyway. I mean, she's talking to Tippett, who died instantly, and she says she's trying to talk to Tippett, and he's making noises. So we have a hysterical woman here who could be manipulated, and you can look at the lineups and see that. Whoever killed Tippett wanted to make sure that I, either Tippett was there to help Lee get out of there, because we have a police car that pulls up and honks the horn going on. Yeah, yeah. It honks the horn. Yeah, who in honks? front yeah. in front of Oswald's house. It was and the, now the problem was the neighbor said it was a squad car 107 or something, and Tippett's car was one zero. Okay, so you, she mis she well, maybe misremembered. She miss. Maybe yeah. maybe because we know how they changed the other testimonies. Maybe somebody right. just added a number on the end of that. But because she got the number wrong, they said it didn't happen. On top of that, they said, well, you know, he didn't have any. Uh, there were she said there were two people in the car. Well, you know, she's wearing glasses at a certain angle. What was hanging in that car, of course, was a 
uniform. Now, Tippett did not have any uh, buddy with him, you know. know, He was a lone patrolman. But he's got a uniform in that car, and when you blow it up, you find it's a size small. Why would he have been recruited to to, to pick Lee Lee up? Well, first of all, Tippett wasn't very smart. (laughs) I think that he could have been told anything to pick him up, Mm. okay? And uh, not being very smart, he was also having an affair. Therefore, if anything happened to Tippett, it could be blamed on maybe uh, this other guy, this irate fellow who had found out about the affair. Who knows? All I'm saying is that Tippett was handy to use. He'd never made much of himself in the department. Um, he wasn't all that bright. And uh, I, I wish I wasn't in Dallas. I have to make speculations like everybody else about all that. How did Lee know Jack Ruby? Oh, from time immemorial in a way. Ever since his mother moved them to Dallas when uh, Lee was to Fort Worth area, um, that's uh, Uncle Dutz, uh, Moret. That's Charles Moret, who died of cancer soon after uh, the Warren Commission uh, uh, had interviewed him. How coincidental, Mm -hmm. because we have Jack Ruby dying, too. Anyway, he said to Ruby a long time ago when the young Lee moved over there, he said, take care of my boy Lee, okay? And Jack Ruby was all the time he was coming to uh, from Dallas over to New Orleans. He was a... pretty important as far as, uh, much more important than they have ever made him out to be. As I learned, he was big time. Didn't he work for Nixon, Ruby? Oh, yeah. He, at one time, he had been an informant for Nixon. That was uh, years earlier. And so they wanted to keep him out of certain investigations and everything. By the time he, he shoots poor Lee, he's described as a nightclub owner. And this is that's such a joke because, I mean, you know, of course he owned the carousel club and all that, but... Uh, he was far more than that. He was a bag man and a police fixer, and, you know, he he handled bribes uh, with the police. And the very gun that he used to kill Lee Oswald with used to belong to a police officer, a Dallas police officer, before he bought it. Uh, Judith, stay, uh, stay put. We'll take another time out. We'll come back. A few more questions. Get okay. a few more calls. And uh, obviously we want to find out uh, your reaction to uh, to seeing uh, Lee, your former lover, oh, no. gunned down on television a few oh. days later. Uh, back with more with Judith Very Baker here on AM740. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Richard Serrett. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. To speak with Richard, call 416 360 0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1 866 740 4740. system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. In just about 10 minutes time, we'll open up the phone lines and uh, do open lines till 1 a.m. Eastern. 
But right now, a few moments remain with Judith Very Baker, who is uh, in town and will be appearing at Conspiracy Culture, 1696 Queen Street West, to, uh, to sign copies of her memoir. And uh, that takes place uh, between 7 and 10 p.m. Um, all this happening on Tuesday, October the 18th, which would have been Lee's 72nd birthday. Uh, all right, so you saw Lee gunned down by Jack Ruby on, on television. Um, that must have just been an unimaginable horror. I don't want to talk about it, and you know, but people want to hear about it. Uh, you take anybody that you love a lot, and you hope for the best of them. You hear they got arrested. Maybe it's you know that they've been blamed for something they didn't do. You hear them saying terrible things about him that are not true, and uh, they they show the worst possible pictures they can find of him, so he looks ugly. Then you have some hope. You see him coming out, and you know, well, at least he's still alive. And then suddenly he's gone. He's shot. Mm. Um, I, I can't express what. I forgive me for saying this, but it, it's cruel the way people keep asking me about this. Because then I'm going to have a nightmare tonight. You know. I I I, um, I apologize, but okay. I you know that under, you, you know, know that. That's something that, I mean, were you able to prepare for it, knowing that we, oh, during these conversations? The fact that, that he was still alive. And, of course, Dave Ferry called me and, you know, he said, you know, while there's life, there's, there's hope and all that kind of thing. But it's a, no, we didn't have any hope that he'd survive. Not really, but still, you're not ready for that, you know. Keep hoping somehow. Maybe, maybe it won't happen. Right. He knew too much. It wasn't just, of course, about... The um, who killed Kennedy because he knew he knew so much and he he told me some names you know and of course that's in the book and uh, I don't care who who knows it I mean LBJ was part of it of course because that's better than going to jail he had his choice becoming president or going to prison but uh, he was of course not they call him a mastermind. He was the one, of course, who helped facilitate all this. And you have others. There's a whole list of them. Marcello. Of course. Well, they used the mob for this. Nicoletti. Uh, well, uh, again, at that time, there were names. I These people had nicknames, and you'd be a surprise. I mean, I first heard, heard about who Marcello was because he was called Little Man. And it, t- it took a while for me to figure out who was who because of all the nicknames they mm-hmm. used. Uh, let's say hello to Fred in Toronto, who's been very patient, waiting yes. on the line. Fred, good morning. You're on the air. Hi. I, I had a statement and a question for your guest. Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to tell you personally, I really feel that Oswald was not the shooter. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and it's a really sad story. I'm almost got me crying. Anyways, the question is, uh... Um, I know you're very knowledgeable in the cancer area. Yes, sir. And and the question is, do you feel that they may be using cancer to target people selectively? Yes, I do. Okay, that was the question. I, All right, I'm Fred. surprised. All right, Thank Fred, you. thank you for that. 
thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Um, we mentioned um, Dr. Um, Sherman. Dr. Mary Sherman, who was horrifically uh, done away with, murdered, on the very yeah, day that yeah, the Warren Commission... You have, it. you have front page. The day that the Warren Commission comes to get unsolicited te- testimonies, that is, who's going to volunteer to talk about this thing? Okay, that same day, there it is. She's on the front page. Uh, she's found with her naked body, you know, on fire. Uh, the place supposedly on fire. She's been stabbed. They don't tell you that her right arm is missing. Things like that. Missing. What? Burned off. Burned off. Which is, of course, impossible at ordinary uh, fire, ordinary heats. They don't tell you a lot about her and about what she was doing. And Oxner who should have been devastated, never holds it, uh, even though he knew her 11 years and worked with her, you know, on a constant basis whenever he was in town. You don't hear him giving her a memorial service, nothing. You have to ask yourself why. Well, Mary knew too much. She would have come forward. This was a brave woman. She would have said what she knew. And once, of course, she was on the front page as dead, how many people do you think really wanted to come forward to New Orleans and talk about this? How did you manage to, to survive? Me? Yes. Well, first of all, uh, when I was hired at Riley, I was Mrs. Robert Allison Baker III. See, I was newly married with a husband who left town and abandoned me, basically. And this is, of course, why Lee and I had developed a relationship. I, I felt abandoned. We had miserable marriages. So, you know, it, it helped us come together. But to, in the... With Oxner, I had been invited in as Judy Very. You got Judy Very, and you got Mrs. Robert Allison Baker the Third. Ah. They seemed poles apart, and it was people didn't connect the two, the two names. And I'm, I'm the same person. In New how Orleans. fortunate! Listen, let's take a call here from uh, Alabama. Elizabeth is on the line. Good, mo- mm-hmm. good morning, Elizabeth. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hello, Elizabeth. Judy. Yes. This is Elizabeth. Is this Elizabeth Witten? Yes, it is. Well, hello, hello. And I just want to tell you, I love you. I love you, too. And I sure wish I could be there with you. And I am so glad you're out of town for a change. Well, as you know, this is only temporary. I'm going to take extraordinary methods to get back to where I was. I'm only doing this because I want to honor Lee, and this is the only way I can do it. And I'm still alive to do it. Well, and and you just... You just stay that way, and I'm behind you. And although I got to get up early in the morning, I had to stay up and listen to you tonight. Thank you very much. And and I guess I do have a question. Sure. Have you ever heard from Marina at all? This is a long story. I've heard from Rachel, and she did write and say that you know every November her mother just goes into. It's become so miserable. These are Lee's children you're talking about. Yes, yes. Rachel is the youngest child. And uh, uh, soon after we were in contact, um, uh, her, she has a very protective uh, husband. He's a doctor. And um, that was the end of that. But basically, Marina and I understand each other. She knows I know things about her, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's nobody's business, and I'm never going to talk about that. And there, there are reasons why they married, and there are reasons why they argued. But the main point is that um, she knows, they all know that Lee's innocent. They all know that um, there are things that she had to say, Marina had to say, 
in order to save herself. You have a baby that Marina had that was born in the United States. They threatened her with deportation. That's on record. But they, she would not have been able to take her American-born baby back with her to Russia. Right. So what are you going to do for your child? She would do and say anything. And she made enough conflicting statements that he, they couldn't use her really as a reputable witness. Actually, that was a good thing. Elizabeth in Alabama, thank you for checking in. It was good to hear from you. Well, I just wanted Judy to know I was thinking about her, and I'm behind her 100%. All right. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. And uh, had a wonderful uh, a wonderful uh, stay in Alabama this past summer in uh, the great city of Mobile. Uh, Mobile, rather. Mobile. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I'm not a Southerner. <laughs> Mobile, Alabama, great town. Okay. Uh, Judith, uh, the... The the people that were involved yes. in JFK, some of them, I'm guessing, still alive today, still holding uh, uh, positions of power and influence. Oh, absolutely. And go back to Nixon's aides and his youngest men, all right, who were with Nixon. And uh, fast forward to Cheney and Rumsfeld and so on. Well, you know, it's funny, and uh, I, I've, I've read and, and been told by a number of researchers that uh, that Nixon was in Dallas uh, on that day. He and definitely was. He was with PepsiCo. He's a lawyer for PepsiCo. PepsiCo took over the actual place where um, they wanted uh, uh, Kennedy to speak. At and, the trademark. Uh, they t- no, he, this is not trademark. It was a, it's a convention center, that, uh, a hall. Albert Thomas Hall, I believe. No, no. Anyway, no, that's uh, Houston. Anyway, there's a hall there that PepsiCo took over, and so this forced uh, Kennedy to have to have a motorcade to get to the other place. But Nixon, I remember years later, was asked, where were you on November 22nd? Oh, he and he said, I forgot. To... Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember. Yeah, right. Was, yeah, well, uh, the, we I don't... have meetings that, were, that uh, occurred before the uh, assassination. Yes, you know, in the book, we talk about something nobody's ever mentioned before, and that is that they decided they were going to make a trophy film. Now, I've always wondered if that was a Zapruder film. Of course, I don't know, but they they knew what they were doing, and they actually wanted a trophy of it. They wanted a trophy film of Kennedy dead. How would you characterize the assassination? Was it a coup d'etat? Oh, definitely. Yes. We're in it. Uh, if you notice um, the condition of the United States, the corruption, the evil the uh, destruction of, of all the family values and mores and morals, the influx of drugs run by the CIA. Well, we now have a president with the power to assassinate U.S. citizens. We have uh, lost a lot of the uh, original uh, safeguards we had as citizens uh, that we had under the Constitution. It's almost a farce. You know, I'm wondering I then... can't go in the United States. You, if you, you want to hear my voice, it's gonna, it'll, be, it'll be gone. I mean, I tried to stay in the U.S. I was hospitalized five times after speaking out. I had to leave. Do you fear for your life? Oh, of course. Sometimes I get scared. I've had threats. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd get calls in the middle of the night telling me my mother was dead and things like that. Oh, my. They, they, they do nasty things. Uh, one time I, I had um, fi- finally recovered from being hit in Dallas by a white van that had been following me for three months and finally slammed into me from behind. And they never could trace anybody. It was all fake information they gave. Geico tried because they, sure they sure didn't want to have to pay, you know, for uninsured motorists and all this kind of thing. Geico tried hard to find out. All they could find out was a professional driver 
who slammed into me mm. as I'm sitting at a red light. So I went to the hospital. Six months later, I get a call saying, do you want to have another accident? And uh, I emailed a bunch of people, said, I got this. And they said, oh, come on, it's just a crank call. And, yeah, I got hit again that night. Well, Judith, I wish you many, many years. Uh, and you. And I wish you um, a good night's sleep knowing that you have uh, done your absolute utmost to set the record straight, to, to give, um, to pay honor and tribute to... To a great man, a good man, a man who's been demonized, please help me, help me spread the word. Happy birthday, Lee Oswald, because he said I'll never see another birthday. I think you've won, Judith. You've won. God bless you. Let's uh, remind uh, uh, folks once again that uh, you will be at Conspiracy Culture, our good friends uh, Patrick and Kadena, their shop down at uh, 1696 Queen Street West. This is Tuesday, October the 18th from 7.07 p.m. to 10.10 p.m. I'm sure those numbers are significant. Bring some happy birthday balloons. We're going to show the world that Lee Oswald was not a devil. And you'll be signing some books? You bet. All right, Judith. Again, a long life. Thank you very much. Let's hope. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. What did you make of that? Uh, fascinating woman. A brave woman. A brave woman. We'll uh, come back, and the phone lines will be available to you. Just you, me, and the telephone. You want to talk deep politics? You want to talk about Oswald? You want to talk about UFOs, ghosts, things that go bump in the night? I'm all yours. For the next half hour, 416-360-0740, toll free from Maine to Minnesota and south to the Carolinas, 866-740-4740. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM That's uh, Stolen Cookies from the boomer rock sound of Who Stole the Cookies. It's a, a band that keeps pretty busy around town with performances. 
uh, in a wide range of venues around uh, Toronto and the Golden Horseshoe. The Golden, or, uh, Who Stole the Cookies are Nick Soder, lead vocals, Tony Johnstone, lead guitar, who hails from Liverpool, uh, Jamie Proctor on bass, Keith Atherton on drums, who hails from Winnipeg. They've got a bit of a, uh, a rock heritage there, I would say, wouldn't you? So, uh, together, Nick, Tony, Jamie, Kelly are Who Stole the Cookies, and uh, they are responsible for that um, instrumental that ushered us back in. And uh, from time to time, we also play the other song that they composed for uh, this show, exclusively called Nothing Concealed. And um, I've been threatening to post the lyrics uh, for that song on my website. I will do that, uh, but it is basically inspired by the, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the verse from Matthew that I recite at the end of the show. Don't be afraid, there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Anyway, uh, thanks to uh, Judith Very Baker for uh, a riveting conversation. And on uh, November the 20th, which will be uh, the Sunday before the actual 48th anniversary, I will dedicate the full two hours. Uh, we'll do a JFK anniversary special. That's Sunday, November the 20th. Uh, Walt Brown, uh, who is just an absolute encyclopedic, uh, an encyclopedia about the Warren Commission and JFK. This guy knows it all, and he's written probably more than anybody uh, about the JFK assassination. Walt Brown also is editor of uh, JFK Deep Politics Quarterly, uh, will be with me. Uh, as well as uh, the um, uh, Nelson Phillips, who has uh, penned a new book about LBJ's role in the JFK assassination. A lot of books out there lately about LBJ's role. All right, let's uh, move to the phones and let's say hi to Keith in Rochester. Hello, Keith. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Yes, sir. First, I just want to say quickly about LBJ. Uh, when he's being sworn in on board that plane as president, if you really look at his face, uh, I determine that he really did not know that uh, President Kennedy was going to be murdered. I could be wrong on that, but if you really look at him, he looks crestfallen, and I, uh, I, I would give him grace, LBJ, that he did not know about the assassination. Well, um, I appreciate the call, Keith. I, would... I want to ask something else. Yeah. I want to talk about extraterrestrial, so I'll, that's what I called in about. Okay, first let me just respond to the LBJ um, a comment, which is an interesting one. Um, you know, it's pretty pretty hard to determine one's guilt or innocence based on you know a one thirty second of a second or whatever the 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 the, the shutter speed was on that camera. Um, you know, in light of all the other evidence that's uh, that's come forward, uh, Barry McClellan has written a book, uh, detailed, uh, some amazing, pretty incriminating, um, uh, damaging evidence against LBJ. Uh, ditto Joseph Farrell's book on LBJ's role. The new uh, 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 F- Philip Nelson book. I just got the um, uh, the the, uh, the manuscript today, actually, and I'm and I'm and I'm pouring over it. Uh, I I got to tell you. That guy was—he was a great politician, but he was ruthless, and he had a um, a, a pretty, a pretty powerful, nefarious bunch of uh, a bunch around him. That Texas political machine that he had—I I tell you, uh, maybe he he didn't say do it. Maybe he was asked uh, to give his tacit approval, but he did not have. There was no love lost uh, for JFK. I mean. JFK needed Johnson to, to carry Texas, 
Texas hated Kennedy. Johnson hated Kennedy. He hated his brother Bobby even more. Um, I, I, I think he may have had something to do with it, Keith. Anyway, you wanted to talk about well, extraterrestrials. I, I know of his past, and you're correct in all that. I was just going by that picture. Yeah. Uh, you're right. He did, look, he, did look, he did sincerely look like he was shocked in that photograph. Yes, sir. Yeah. Our planet is hitting 7 billion in population, and all of us have noticed a quickening pace mm -hmm. on this planet, and not just because of high technology. Uh, if, in fact, what, we're all, what we all call extraterrestrials are here in human form, I'm asking everyone, are they going to help be our saving grace? Are they going to help be our, even our saviors? Or just the fact that they've allowed themselves to come to us in human form, are they going to be contaminated like the rest of us? If they're here, and because I tend to be very analytical, and I didn't think I'd ever say this, but if they're here among us, are they going to help us, or are they going to be corrupted just by the fact that they are here in human form? That's a great question. What, do you, what does your gut tell you, Keith? Uh, I'm looking out for them. Uh, I want to see them. Uh, I want to see them cross over, but we're going to have to be scientific about it, and uh, we can't drop our guard, but it would be very helpful if they would help us, but I don't know yet. Have you ruled out the possibility that the, uh, the extraterrestrial phenomena can be explained um, in, in a more spiritual uh, sense? Could they be interdimensional? Could they be demonic? Uh, they could be both of those, um, but if, um, and I'm going to have to say it this way, because we humans are so visually oriented, uh, without offending anyone, in the same way that Jesus Christ eventually, even as the Son of God, had to be presented eventually in human form, if these ETs are to ever help us, they too will probably have to present themselves eventually in some kind of human form. I don't know if they... Uh, remain constantly spiritual, that they would get through to us just because of our human nature. We just probably would shut them out. All right, Keith, always, uh, you always come armed with uh, some uh, interesting food for thought. I appreciate uh, hearing from you again. Bye. Bye. Keith in Rochester. All right. And uh, our uh, good uh, friend Nelson Thal has joined us. Uh, he wanted, I'm, I know, to, to weigh in on uh, Judith Very Baker again on Lee Harvey Oswald. Hey, Nelson. Hey, Richard. You know, Richard, there's a great book by Richard Popkin that came out many years ago called The Second Oswald. Popkin was a Ph.D. from Columbia University and taught later at the University of California in Iowa. And um, the cloud of witnesses about Second Oswald, even Hoover admitted in writing that there was imposters and mm -hmm. his mother. So the real question we didn't find out from her was, which Oswald did she actually know? Um, she didn't have any hard evidence, of course, that the uh, one caught at the theater and so-called murdered um, by Ruby was uh, was the same one. I doubt it was. I believe she knew one of the Oswalds. Right, right. Uh, but she didn't know. Uh, she uh, and for, it, she, the one that she knew may very well have gone into the witness protection program because, as you recall, Penn Jones pointed out that. Uh, um, when Ferry made that midnight run in the driving rain to Houston right after the assassination, it's alleged that he brought the um, one, the Oswald out. So he's probably still alive, the one she knows. Well, if that's the case, uh, and but if to Judith... deny that there were imposters is just 
That's well, put yourself in her position, Nelson. She was in love with this man. This was the only one she knew. Let's say that the one that she knew, there was only the one that she knew from, from April of 1963 until uh, they parted company later that summer. Um, I mean, here's the thing. And, and I, I agree with you. That there's somebody, there's a, there's a guy by the name of Oswald arrested in the theater, but she never could d- determine, she had no evidence that the one in the theater and shot in the, or fake shot is was the same Oswald. That's true. That's true. And here's the other thing about um, uh, Os- Oswald, and I didn't have a chance to ask her this, but here's a guy that's supposedly uh, f- so he's in- fluid in French, in in Russian. I mean, his Russian is perfect, and yet uh, when you read some of the writings of Oswald, I mean, he sp- he he misspells common English names. Right. And if you're not I mean, I find it hard to believe that someone could be uh, fluent in a in a second language and yet uh, not even fluent in their in their in their first language. So yeah. that's that's problematic. Also, when Oswald comes back, um, he mixes up again in writing. He mixes up he mixes up the the birth dates of his mother and father, and I believe he misspells his mother's name. And it's, and he's two inches taller. Yeah. So there's some of that going on, um, but that doesn't necessarily contradict anything that she's saying that no, in no, terms she of... she may have very well mo- known one of the imposters, and the imposter she knew may have gone into the witness protection program and may be still alive. Right, right. But one thing's for sure, there was an Oswald that was trained at Itsugi, Japan, and an Oswald that went to Russia and defected, and a different one that came back and met Demorenschild in New York... So there were a lot of them, and it's exciting to find out, wonder, she may be very, she, she says he's lost. She may be excited to find out one day that he's really alive. There you go. Yep. Anyway, it was a great interview. It's great having her on, and certainly that's, you're the only one doing it, Richard, so thanks very much for, for bringing her on. Well, thank you, uh, Nelson, for drawing it to my attention, and um, we'll see you when you get back. Take care. All right, buddy. Nelson Thaw. Uh, I wanted to mention... <clears throat> what's coming up uh, on the program next week that'll be Sunday October the 23rd uh, Jim Elvidge will be here uh, Jim is uh, a fascinating mind and a bit of a renaissance man uh, he's a, kind of an electrical engineer I think by trade but um, he dabbles in uh, in um, futurism and uh, uh, theoretical physics, and uh, you can read his uh, his weekly dispatches at his website. It's um, uh, the universe solved, theuniversesolved dot com. I just want to double check to make sure I have that right. Uh, but I'm um, hoping that uh, when Jim comes on, we can talk about one of my favorite topics these days, and that has to do with parallel universes and the possibility that he, that they exist. Just just think on that for a moment what all that might entail. A parallel universe, not not just one, but perhaps an infinite number, or at least hundreds of them. Uh, and in each of those parallel universes, there is a version of you, almost identical, but with a slight variation. So, in this universe, in this reality that I know, the only one that I know, I'm sitting in front of a microphone, but in a parallel universe... Uh, perhaps, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a catcher with the Cincinnati Reds, which is something, you know, I fantasized about as a kid, 
being a big fan of the Big Red Machine and Johnny Bench and so forth. Uh, in a parallel universe, John Lennon wasn't assassinated on December 8th, 1980 by Mark David Chapman. He lived and the Beatles reformed. So somewhere in a parallel universe, the Beatles are out there making albums again. And that's, you know, if you think that's mere fantasy, there is about, uh, I would say, it's a minority, but about 10% of some of the most brilliant minds, theoretical physicists, who say that this is the only way to explain certain phenomena that they've, they've seen in, in, in laboratory experiments. We're talking about quantum mechanics here, quantum physics. But they say the only way that you can explain certain results is with, with this parallel universe model. You can't discount it, they say. Uh, people like David Deutsch, um, who's uh, theorizing about building uh, quantum computing, quantum computers. So with uh, Jim Elvidge next week on the program, we'll get into this whole field. It's, it's just absolutely, to me, it's the only thing we're talking about practically. Because it, it could mean, well, it's just as, as far as your mind can take you. It means everything. It might mean eternal life. Because you die in this reality doesn't mean that you're dead in another reality. Is that, is that what heaven is? One of these parallel universes? And the thing is, they're right in front of our nose. Absolutely fascinating. I mean, I could, I could talk about it all night, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave uh, that to Jim Elvidge. That's coming up next Sunday, October the 23rd, and I hope you'll be with me. Uh, at 11 p.m. Eastern. All right, Elizabeth uh, has rejoined us from uh, Alabama. Uh, Elizabeth, good morning once again. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello. Hi there. Did you want to? Did you want to say something in, in addition to uh, your previous comment about Judith? Uh, yes, I just there was a question about whether or not she really knew the real Oswald, but I remember reading in her book and in conversation with her that she did actually meet the little girl that was older, that had already been born. And I remember there was an issue that they didn't ever want to uh, enter into public with each other because they'd have to explain how they knew, how she knew Judith. Right, right. And, And so I don't, think that uh, 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 Adius Oswald would have had Judith, you know, Marina's child. Right. So, in other words, Judith maybe knew the Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, but there it's possible that there were doubles that she didn't know, and that those doubles were used to, you know, uh, muddy the water, confuse the issue, and so forth. I guess what, what's up for dispute here is whether or not there were, in fact, other individuals posing as Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, and you know, Judy said it was definitely other people that that uh, took on his persona. Right, right. But I, I firmly believe also that she knew the Oswald. She knew, she knew where he lived. She I, knew I believe where that he, too. 
I believe they that too. By there. Yeah. Here's the thing that's interesting, and, and maybe uh, not to give Judith false hope, but obviously she wasn't in Dallas. She was back in Florida when when uh, when Lee was gunned down by Jack Ruby. It's possible uh, that the person that was gunned down was was one of these imposters, and mm-hmm. that David Ferry, in fact, did spirit the real Lee Harvey Oswald out of Dallas. Uh, in his car that mm-hmm. night. So who knows? Maybe the real Lee Harvey Oswald is still out there. Well, I, I also read recently, too, that Oswald had scars, and he had a scar on his upper lip, and that was verified that that was the Oswald that was in the Marine that had had his lip busted by a colleague, and and it was... It was noted on the autopsy report. Ah, okay. So that was just some new information I found out today. You know, there was a real big hullabaloo with people saying, oh, that wasn't the right Oswald that was buried. But it seems more and more that there's evidence coming out that, yes, maybe it was. Uh the other interesting thing I, um, I've heard, actually, courtesy of Nelson Thal, who was with us earlier, was uh, he talked to a, photo, a photographer who was in the courthouse during the prison transfer, witnessed Ruby shooting Oswald, took uh, you know some of the photographs, and commented that, to his amazement, despite the fact that Ruby shot Oswald at close range in the gut, there was no blood, which does seem very strange, except that... Um, when you're shot at such, not to get too gruesome here, but when you're shot at such close range, everything that's coming out of the end of that barrel, include, including the, the powder burns and, the, and, and almost like a flame, so that the bullet goes into Oswald and the heat from the weapon actually cauterizes the entrance wound at the same time, which might explain the absence of blood. Anyway, I, again, not to be too gruesome, but I just I thought I'd, I'd, I'd throw that out there. Elizabeth, again, a pleasure to talk to you from uh, Alabama. 416-360-0740. Just a few minutes uh, to get in. Uh, we can probably squeeze in a couple of more calls. And um, uh, while we're waiting for those calls, we'll take a quick timeout. We'll come back, and uh, I'll let you know what else is coming up later on in November on The Conspiracy Show. It's going to be a great month, folks. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. 
Hope you'll check out the uh, the new website, theconspiracyshow.com. That's your um, your destination for the the uh, television program and also the radio program. It's all there under one banner now, theconspiracyshow.com. Uh, there's a link there for the radio show. Click on that, and that'll take you to the old website. And all the information about up- upcoming shows is there, uh, previous show information, and, uh, uh, of course, the the, uh, the television uh, program. Uh, all of the episodes are listed. The guests are listed, links to their websites, and so forth. And uh, there's an alerts section on the front page of uh, theconspiracyshow.com, which lets you know which episode of the TV show is airing and when and also on that alerts section on the website, theconspiracyshow.com, is uh, the, uh, the next radio show, what's, what, what, what's uh, going on. Now, uh, on the, I mentioned the 23rd, that's Jim Elvidge talking parallel universes. The, the, next, uh, week is, uh, the next week is the 30th of October, which is the day before Halloween, so we'll do a big Halloween special. And included in that is uh, going to be a fascinating conversation with a, a researcher by the name of Thomas Rosetto talking about Harry Houdini. And uh, Harry Houdini um, was on his deathbed. Of course, he had taken uh, several blows to the stomach up in McGill University in Montreal during a show back in uh, uh, 1926, I believe it was. He died of um, a ruptured appendix as a result uh, about nine days later, while he's on his deathbed, he um, he arranges a little experiment with his beloved wife, Bess, that when he passes, he will attempt to contact her uh, from the great beyond. And of course, he was not a believer in the afterlife. In fact, he and Bess made that part of their act, trying to debunk these mediums and psychics and so forth. And uh, there was, in fact, an experiment. Bess wrote a letter to the New York Times declaring it a success. Despite all her skepticism, she said, Harry did come through. It was him. He lives on the other side. Uh, And then afterwards, she would recant that. So we were left to wonder, well, what's the truth? Thomas Rosetta will be on the program to tell us that that experiment, that after-death experiment with Harry Houdini was, in fact, a success, and he'll tell us why. We'll also speak with uh, Dr. Robert Curran, uh, about his latest book uh, dealing with all things Halloween, uh, ghosts, goblins, and so forth. And I may have a, a ghost story or two of my own to share. All right, I think we have time for a quick call here uh, from, uh, let's see, we have Siobhan in Guelph. Hello, is it Siobhan? It's Siobhan. Hello, Hello Siobhan, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm um, 64 now, and I remember being a teenager at the time of Kennedy's killing. And um, a couple of uh, months later, I think it was months, um, Martha Mitchell um, actually was on the radio. Um, I forget who her husband was, but she was connected with the politics of Kennedy. But she got out uh, of, of a hotel room that they were keeping her in. She got onto a radio station, and she... Um, came in unannounced and said that she had been held against her will by the CIA and they were trying to give her cancer, giving her injections every day. And um, they came and they got her and they said that she was mentally ill and they took her away. And about three months later, she died of cancer. And I remember listening to you tonight saying that this Lee Harvey Oswald 
was involved in trying to deliver a cancer to kill Castro. Mm-hmm. Yes, interesting. And I remember that on the on the radio. And, I was uh, fifteen, so I just wanted to comment on that. And then some of the dots are starting to be connected for you now. Isn't that interesting? Oh yes, yes, Amazing. very much so. Siobhan, um, great hearing yes. from you. Thank you so much. Hope you'll call okay. again. Thank you again. Bye bye. Uh, let's see. Uh, we are out of time. So uh, Thomas in Cincinnati and Rose also calling from Guelph. I'm sorry we weren't able to uh, include you in the program tonight. Perhaps another time. Thank you for calling. Thanks to Griffin March, as always, for his expertise behind the soundboard. Thanks to uh, Judith Very Baker. Make sure you uh, get down to Conspiracy Culture Tuesday, the 18th of October. That's uh, tomorrow night, 7.07 p.m. to 10.10 uh, 10, 10 p.m., Get a copy of her memoir signed, 1696 Queen Street West. And say hello to Patrick and Kadena. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.